welcome back to the News Fair Podcast. I am the host, Shrek. Welcome to the News Fair Podcast. Interviews with spearfishing experts, authorities, and characters from around the world. Today, it's a round two with Adam Stern, aka Adam Freediver. Now, if you don't know who Adam Stern is and you're in the freediver spearfishing world, you have possibly been hiding under a rock. The man has got an incredibly vibrant community and massive YouTube channel where he teaches awesome info to people wanting to improve their free dive, free diving journey. And, and, and if you're a free dive spiro, it makes great sense as well. Uh, Adam is very much a noob spiro, but he's a phenomenal free diver, phenomenal athlete, and just the top guy. And uh, his first episode I did with him has been hugely popular. He's come back to the show to answer a whole bunch of questions that him and I get peppered with on a regular basis about free diving and equalizing mostly. So I'm really looking forward to get in, getting into this. Um, Adam, I ambushed him halfway through the episode and asked him for a discount code for you guys. If you want to check out any of Adam's courses, pump in the code NoobSparrow and get 40% off any and all of his courses. So um, anyway, this show is broken into a couple of different sections. I'm calling it your burning freediving and EQ questions with Adam. So <clears throat> a couple of warm-up questions, then we get into training breath hold questions. We've got a full section on equalising questions, then deeper freedive spearfishing um, sort of queries and then we wrap it up with some other questions the whole way through there's a, a, a ton of, of banter but uh one cool thing i really enjoyed about this episode was having patron listeners in live so i sent these guys the link to the call and basically i, I was on with a bunch of patrons before the call with adam even started um so it was bloody awesome I had six managed to tune in all different time zones and uh, at the end of this episode patrons ask their questions live with adam so really cool to do that for patrons listeners so if you are a long-time listener of the noob Spirit podcast and you want to support on an episode by episode basis head over to patreon.com forward slash noob there's an exclusive equipment only um, episode just for patrons and now i'm starting to do the live q a's and get you guys in on some of the calls as well so i'm bloody enjoying it um, if you want to get involved in the show in any other ways head over to noobspirit.com and there is a section up in the menu called nooba stories and you can leave me a three minute voice message now i would love to hear about your scary moments and lessons learned, um, phenomenal, um, you know, catches that you're proud of, um, any sort of new product reviews, things like that, go to noobspirit.com, head up Noob Stories and leave me an up to a three minute voice message and I'll try and include it on an upcoming message. Um, massive thank you to a couple of guys that are helping out around the traps, Brandon Swan and Polly. I've butchered that for sure. I'm sorry, Brandon. He's South African with a hardcore Afrikaans name. So I've absolutely butchered the hell out of it. Maybe I could try it with a South African accent. Brandon... No, that's terrible as well. Sorry about that. And Ethan, yo, uh, both helping out on social media. Ethan's running Noob Spirit TikTok. Brandon's running Noob Spirit Instagram at the moment. If you jump on and follow us on any of those channels, you're engaging with those boys. Really big thank you to you guys. And last thank you before we hook into this episode... Pat Dwyer from Impact Podcasting has been producing the show for more than 100 episodes. Massive thank you to Pat. Let's hook in. I'm, I really enjoyed some of the cheeky banter in here with Adam Stern. Here we go. This episode of the Noob Spirit Podcast is brought to you by spearfishing.com.au. They've been on board for more than 100 episodes, and I'd love for you to shop at spearfishing.com.au. They have a price beat guarantee, hassle-free returns, flat shipping rates across Australia, and you can save 20 bucks. For every purchase over $200, if you use the code NoobSpero, you save $20. Thanks for supporting the Noob Spirit Podcast and shopping with spearfishing.com.au. 
partners of the New Spirit Podcast, Neptonics.com. Neptonics offers the best spearfishing gear, spear guns, carbon fins, spear gun parts and packages at the lowest prices. Go to Neptonics.com, use the code NOOB10 to save 10% off anything at Neptonics.com. N-O-O-B-1-0. Boom! Well, something a little bit different today at Noob Spiro Community. We've got, I've got Adam Stern here with Q&A from the community. Um, all the questions that got um, asked through the Noob Spiro Community group on Facebook and Instagram, I've got them here as well as half a dozen patrons who were able to turn up as well. Um, we're going to have a deep dive with those guys at the at the end of the, of the Q&A with Adam. But it's awesome to have you with me again, Adam. Welcome to the show. Pleasure. My favourite podcast. Really? Well, I don't listen to any other podcasts. Oh. <laughs> I've listened to you on the Freedive Cafe podcast. You know what? Okay, the Freedive Cafe podcast I think is great, but yeah. I haven't actually listened to it yet, to be absolutely oh. honest with you. Donnie's got uh, a good he, show there, and he's got a new he, one he out does. now too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm. I was again on like I, I was the most recent podcast put out, I think yesterday or something like that. Um, but I, I, to be honest with you, I haven't actually listened to the episodes. But like everyone raves about it, and I know that they're great. Because mm. um, I'm, yeah, anyway. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. You yeah, know, nah, it's a good show. I like it. So he's had a couple of really good guests, including yourself. So it's, it's great to have you back. I heard a rumour the other day that your middle name is actually Ignatius and you, <laughs> you've you changed it to Freediver to try and, like, just hide from that. that. Is that real? My, my middle name is Thomas. Um, okay. But mate, I reckon if my middle name was Ignatius, I would rep that, eh? Yeah, yeah. I'd be, I'd be Ad, Adam Iggy Stern, wouldn't I? <laughs> you would. I think it's pretty cool too, especially when you make it Iggy. Um, <laughs> let's talk into some questions. Ben asks, um, he wants to know why you're so happy and enthusiastic all the time. He loves your energy. Uh, ben, I don't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> um, <sighs> So, look, I, like, I, I wake up in the morning and I think to myself, oh, what am I going to do today? Oh, should I go shoot a YouTube video? What does that involve? It involves going out the boat, going somewhere fun. Should I, you know, uh, I don't know, make some photos for Instagram? Like, should I hang out? Should I go for a spear? Like, that, you are literally, that is the extent of my day. Um, before COVID, I was like really like, I suppose like training, uh, I suppose I, maybe like about five hours a day would be taken up by training. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've pulled back on that now because I just, I, I legitimately have no idea when I'll be able to actually compete again. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm in right now I'm, I'm maintaining, but not improving if that makes sense. Yep. But, uh, yeah, I honestly, I think that I am happy, uh, and I've got so much energy because I'm not using that energy going to work. That's yeah. the truth. I am a very, very lucky person. But surely, like the rest of us, you have flat days. You have days where you just you're not into it. Um, does that happen to you? For sure. Um, but this is this is the thing, right? Like this is why uh, you know when people ask me about like you know do you spear? Do you do this? Do that? And my answer is like I do everything because there are days when I don't want to go spearing. There are days when I don't want to take photos. There are days where I don't want to train. There are days when I don't want to dive. But there's always something in the ocean or around the ocean that I want to do, if that makes sense. Because I try to do, I try to cover all the bases. And so, like, mate, mate, sometimes I go for a scuba dive. Yeah, nice. nice. I, I, I have fun. So yeah, you just yeah. got to do it all and then you, it keeps everything fresh. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, cool. All right, I like that answer. Cool. Um, Dale. 
Dale Bartosz, a different sort of question here. Um, he wants to know what you think about in freefall, not what you teach people to do, not not <laughs> not what you tell other people to do, but what you actually do, what you think and feel about when you're when you're, you know, you've stopped your kicking phase and you're just in freefall. Okay, so this has changed as the years have gone on, right? So. What what uh, what I used to have to do personally was I used to have to keep my mind active, right? So I used to let's say uh, let, let's just break it up over like um uh, I don't know I, I I suppose I always say like a hundred meter dive because it's just it's a round number, right? Mm -hmm. With a long free fall on it or whatever. So you know you for a hundred meter dive you stop finning at probably about thirty odd meters. You've got seventy meters to think about life as you descend. Mm. Um, and I used to keep my brain really active. I used to think about, okay, I'm equalizing. I'm using this equalization technique. Da, 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 make it like keeping my mind really present on the technique. And then periodically I would scan my body to make sure I was totally relaxed. Mm. And then obviously, um, you know, uh, there is a fair bit involved in free falling. Like, you know, you've got to keep yourself a certain distance to the line so you're not just like waving all over the shop. Um, so I used to keep my mind very active. And then what I found was that as time went on, the more dives I did where I was free falling for like a reasonably long period of time, mm. uh, I was able, my, my brain was able to just bridge the time. Um, and what I mean by that is, do you, okay, so let's say, let's say you start a new job, right? You wake up in the morning and you've got a, a 30 minute commute to work. Mm. The first thing you do that commute, it's 30 minutes of driving, right? You, you're, you're present for it all. Two years down the line, you wake up in the morning, you hop in the car, you blink, and you're at, at work. You know, you know what I mean? You just zone out, and then all of a sudden you're there. Mm. Um, and it just comes from doing the exact same thing again and again and again. You, your brain tends to just bridge the time in between. And so that's, that's, what, that's what happens now. When you do it for long enough, uh, you will start your free fall. You'll start thinking about you know, your equalization. You'll be focused. And then, honestly, before you even know what's going on, you'll be like, oh, wow, I'm at the bottom. Mm. Um, and because I, th I think that... I think that if you didn't, if your brain didn't have the ability to do that, uh, you'd see a lot more people freaking out on their descent. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I've got a few related questions to this. Like, I remember in the first interview I did with you, you said that, you know, a lot of people say free diving is 100% mental, but you were like, I don't agree with that at all. I don't think it's, no. it's such a mental task at all. Um, with limitations, though, a lot of limitations in every sphere of life seem to be self-imposed. It seems to be um, the ideas and the attitudes that you have inside kind of shapes your world and your abilities and the things you're able to think and do. What's your mm -hmm. take on that with regards specifically to freediving? Oh, mate, um, I, 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 look, I mean, that, what, 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 yes, I agree with everything you just described. <laughs> like you will, you, will, you will completely impose... Um, your ability upon yourself and, and it happens in really really weird ways and I, I hope i can think of a really good example for this because it deserves a good example <laughs> it deserves a proper explanation um for, uh, like uh if you don't believe that you are a, a certain kind of diver like let's okay let's let's say uh all right i'll I tell you what <clears throat> i'm doing an instructor course uh next month with a bunch of guys from spearing clubs around australia and it's a it's a spearing thing um, to try to get more freediving instructors in all the spearing clubs. So uh, now all these guys, uh, I suppose, like they're, they're, they're not your typical people that come to a freediving course. You know, they're a little bit, they're rougher around the edges. Uh, they've got less formal education. <clears throat> and I'm sitting here telling them like, hey guys, on the course, 
you don't hit 40 metres, you go home not as an instructor. <laughs> yep. um, now, most Spiros, I, I think, don't think of themselves as deep divers or they don't think of themselves as people that can drop down a line down to 40-odd metres. And so, uh, you know, a, a lot of the work that I'm doing with them is about, about changing their mentality so that they actually start to believe that they can do these dives because if they turn up and they don't believe that they can do it, their brain will, 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 will find reasons to make them bail on dives. They, they will be going down and all of a sudden their equalization will get stuffed. Like a person who believes they can do something there when, when it comes to, when it comes to the crux, their brain will like effectively push through it, find a solution. If they don't believe they can do it, when they come down to a challenge, that person will cave and say, well, look, I don't think I can do it. Like why? And their brain is not going to find the solution. And it happens at every stage in a person's diving. Um, either there are people that are stuck at depths, you know, all over the shop from 10 meters to a hundred meters. Uh, and they can't go deeper because they, they haven't, they don't think of themselves as the type of person that can do it. They don't think of themselves as that kind of a diver, that kind of a person. And you totally, totally place those limits upon yourself. And you'll, you'll, you'll always meet the expectations you set for yourself. That's the truth. I was listening to this guy talk the other day and he was talking about like the voice that you have inside yourself that you talk to yourself with is the most important voice in your life. Even if Adam Stern is standing here and he's coaching me through a dive, what you say isn't as important to me as what I say to myself no. about what you've just said to me. And I think, totally. um, so is your job, a lot of it, training people's inner voice to help them, you know, become a walking, talking, self-fulfilled prophecy that, you know, like, but operating at a level greater than <clears throat> they originally expected of themselves? Mate, I'm, I'm a hand holder. I hold yep. your hand and, and, and you do what you can do. I just spilled coffee all over myself. That's why I was like <laughs> looking down like, fucking <laughs> I was like, you were talking. And I was like, I was. I think I was trying to. I was getting ready to say something. I was like, oh, this is a cup yeah. in my hand, and then it's all over yeah. my lap. Um, Lucky you've got that that background in theatre, though. So you just ad hoc <laughs> and ad libbed and and got yourself out of it. You had no idea what was going on. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and a scalding ball sack, and you're like, oh, you're <laughs> uh, that's the title of this episode: Adam Stern's <laughs> scalding ball sack. So we're going to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, honestly, um, uh, I can only do so much. If a person doesn't uh, believe that they can do it, if they don't genuinely want to do it, because this is this is another uh, funny thing. Um, some people they come to you and they 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 say, "Hey, I want to do these dives. I want to train. I want to get better," but they don't really want to do it. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. There, there's there uh, because in order for them to 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 okay. Like if, if you say, hey, Adam, I want to do this this dive, which is a totally different dive than what you might be able to do now. Let's just say, um, you, you know, you want to do a 40-odd meter dive. Like you, you have to change who you are as a diver to do that. And if people aren't willing to like be like, I'm going to dramatically change everything about my diving, um, they will never get there. So uh, maybe it's just that maybe I should rephrase that and say that people – unaware of what is required sometimes to get better and then they come along they say oh i want to do this but they're not willing to do the work or they're not willing to make the transition okay cool i think that might be a theme for this this episode i don't know i've got heaps of questions here so i'm conscious of time um i've sort of divided the the the, the questions into a few different areas and i've gone through them so i've got training and breath hold request questions then i've got some equalizing questions then i've got a bunch of deeper free dive spearfishing type questions and then cool. i've got another set 
section that I'm calling other questions, <laughs> which <laughs> some of them are funny. Uh, you'll enjoy all of them, I'm sure. Oh, so, sure. So we'll start with um, training and breath hold questions. So Ethan says, would you say going out spearfishing is going to make you become a better diver or... Sorry, okay, hang on. I, I, I thought I rewrote this question. I, I didn't do it very well. In order to become a better diver, are you better off um, going out spearfishing more or doing some free dive training in the pool? Oh, look, both. But if I could choose just one thing to do, it would be, the, it would be going diving. Now, in saying that, this, this is the tricky thing here and this is where training, I suppose, has a real purpose. In order to get better... In many ways, you need to you need to I suppose stress the body to a certain level that it makes an adaptation, right? Mm. So, yeah, like like okay, I tell you what I started doing this year. I started I, I thought to myself, hey, you know, I'm not going to be able to dive for you know for a while, compete for a while, and when I went spearing, I just did really big dives like with the spear. Um, I just go down and shoot a mowong at like 20 meters and sit there for a few minutes. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like you know, dives you don't need to do for the fish you're getting. Um, yeah. Me, that was a part of my training anyway. Um, but uh, this, so this is where training has a place though, because it's not safe to do that. At least like when I do it or when I did it, uh, I was with people who are very, very competent divers, very, very knowledgeable Spiros as well, who are like, you know, if they see me unconscious at 20 meters, they can come and, and pick me up. And it's not a drama. Mm. For, for most of us, we don't, we're not training or we're not diving with those people. So um, uh, because we can't, because it's not really safe to effectively stress the body, while spearing, we have to then like like allocate that to a separate, uh, I suppose, set of circumstances, which is which is training in the pool. So that's why we we have pool training. We train hard in the pool, and we dive easy. Um, in an in an ideal world, if you have all, like, all the right people around you, then you know you can you can do, I suppose, bigger dives. But I really wouldn't recommend it because, as you know, like like spearing is uh, it's it's a totally like like. Everything in free diving and in your pool training and all that kind of jazz, it's planned. You're like, I'm going to swim this distance and nothing's going to get in my way, right? Yeah. Uh, there's no there's no impediment going on here. Like you go spearing, you go down, you're like, oh, what am I going to see down here? What am I going to shoot? If I shoot this thing, can it drown me? How big is it? <laughs> is my shaft going to get stuck somewhere? Like, you know what I'm trying to say. Like this, am everything gonna, is, is... Am I going to run <laughs> into a whale on the way up? Uh, am I going to run into... Oh, mate, that happened well, That yeah. happened to me once. I uh, seen you high five one once. <laughs> Not officially, all right? I never officially high-fived a whale. Is that against the whale engagement strategy rules that the UN has there, charted? <clears throat> yes, of course. And you know that I abide by all rules. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but one time I was coming up from a dive on the Barrier Reef and uh, I was coming up and uh, there was a whale shark literally directly overhead. Scared the shit out of me. Like, you know, you look up, like, what's this huge thing? Um, so you never know what's going what's gonna to be floating around the ocean. Now, now you know how my dive buddies feel. <laughs> they were just like little cobias nestling in underneath. Yeah. So I, I think I ranted and raved there for a little bit, but in short, um, mm. uh, we, we, we train harder in the pool because it's a safe environment to stress the body to make an adaptation to get better, and then we mm. dive easy. In an ideal world, we could, we could, we could train the body in both uh, circumstances, but it's just not safe to be doing dives that stress the body while spearing because there's too many variables going on. There's too many opportunities for something to go wrong. Cool. All right. I just want to go back to that thread too. So yeah. in, in order to become a deeper and longer free dive spe spearer, we need to first be able to believe that we can 
do it. Then, then the second part is, is, is we need to be willing to change in order to make those improvements. And then the third thing you're sort of saying is, is that we need to apply stress in a controlled environment in order to achieve those results. Mate, this we're, sounds like a self-help book. We're working to a thread here. I really feel like there's this, this <laughs> logical sequence yeah. going on. And um, I don't, it's, it's accidental, but, um, you know, who knows? We, 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 we could be cleverer than we think, but probably not. No, Definitely. I, I like how your brain works. That's, um, that's, that's a neat, tidy progression there. All right, cool. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the questions I've got um, are around depth. Um, <laughs> Training in the pool, you're training on a horizontal plane under, you know, near near to surface um, atmospheric conditions. So we're not getting the pressure changes on our body that we need to acclimatise to depth. I've got heaps of questions about that. Um, mm. What what can we achieve in the pool? Um, every, basically, every physiological change except for a depth adaptation. So. You can train your body to, you know, I suppose like uh, hold its breath longer without experiencing urge to breathe. You can you can train your body to increase its hypoxic threshold so you can go for longer without passing out. Um, you can train your body to work better anaerobically. You can train your body to use lactate or lactic acid in the body better as a fuel source. You can you can train everything except for how comfortable do I feel at this depth? And that's something that you just apply later. And that, that's the same also for me, you know, like I, I can't, uh, I can't dive deep all year round. I, I, I get my, all of my, my breath holding fitness and breath holding capacity up in the pool. And then you apply all that to a, to your depth. Um, and if, if you have all of those ducks in a row, those deep dives feel like nothing, you know what I mean? And, and you're not even really going to be sitting there going like, Oh, you know, I, I can't handle this pressure because the truth is, is that, um, uh, when someone says that they can't handle the pressure, it's got very little to do with the pressure. <laughs> yeah. So you, like, we don't have any nerve endings in our lungs. So we don't feel contracting or expanding lungs. Mm. Um, what we feel is our resistance to that. So we mm. feel if we are tense in our body and we're not allowing the, the pressure of the water to, I suppose, like, you know, make make our lungs smaller or make everything around it smaller uh we resist it and then we feel the pressure against all the muscles that surround our lungs and that that, that comes for either in someone's head but most of the time it comes because because a person isn't comfortable with all their breath holding uh, capacity at the depth that they're going but if you, if you feel like if you feel like a beast uh, i mean the depth you go to it can be kind of irrelevant as to like you know oh, can i handle this pressure like what's going on with this pressure here mm. Is blood shift a trained response? I, I mean, yes. Okay, so can you explain blood shift and 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 do, does it increase with training, increase training and yeah. in, and acclimatization to depth? Hundred percent. So, so what, what I was saying before, <laughs> let's just say that that's you know. I suppose to a depth of around maybe 30 odd meters. And then obviously we start going deeper than that and things start to change a little bit because then we have to factor in some extra elements to the depth. Um, so blood shift is, uh, this is the real short explanation of it. Um, uh, as, as your lungs are compressing, um, like I suppose a, a level of suction is being created in the lungs and as we're going down, because uh, we, we have um, we have like more, we I suppose we have um, uh, all, all the blood from our extremities is pulled around our organs. Mm. Uh, the blood vessels in the lungs they bloat or they expand and they draw in or like with with the suction, uh, blood plasma is sucked in to bloat the blood vessels in the lungs. 
and and then that's how the lungs maintain their shape as we're going down. The gas in the lungs is still compressing, and then where the gas is compressing, the space is being taken up by blood plasma. Now, I, I think we in the textbook it says like, oh, you know, this happens once the diver reaches their residual volume, but this actually happens from the beginning. A person diving to 10 metres experiences some kind of a blood shift okay. to help cushion cushion the lungs from pressure. It's, it's, it's obviously very minor compared to what happens when a diver goes deeper than 40-odd metres, right? Because uh, when the lungs themselves cannot shrink below what's called the residual volume, which is mm. usually around one-fifth of, of, of the total lung capacity. So we hit that when we get to about 40 metres. And then at 40 metres, then a lot of blood plasma has to go in to uh, you know, maintain the shape uh, or, and the integrity of the lungs. But it happens to all divers at all depths, just to a lesser extent. And, and obviously, the more you dive to those depths, the better your body gets at bloating the blood vessels. And then as you're coming up, for all the blood coming back out again. So it's very much a trained response. Um, and, you know, the reason why I so as in, in freediving, we'll often talk about this being like a big consideration at 40 meters. In spearfishing, I think this is a much bigger consideration shallower. Like, you know, even, even I'd say I'd go as far as say from 25 meters and beyond because of the amount of physical work that a person tends to be doing underwater when spearing, um, whether you're digging a shaft out of a cave or whether you're swimming a fish up, you, you know what I mean? Right. Like there's, you're, there's off, often some, some, uh, more aggressive movement. <laughs> well, you just, you, you're, you're swimming up and you're just holding yeah. tension on a reel. Yeah. To, to make yeah. sure it doesn't make it into a cave, you know, like you just, exactly. you, you you know, you're just giving it enough to hold it out. And it is exertion wherever you are, though. Yeah, I, I hear yeah, what you're saying. totally. All right, Damien asks, what are the specifically the, some of the best exercises to get more depth and time, bottom time? Mm, okay. That's so two different <laughs> questions, really, but... Um, yeah, and it's, they're actually, it's actually a very long response, to be absolutely honest with you. Um, okay, but if we were to simplify things... The very best way to get more bottom time is, and this depends on the diver, but like uh, let's say a beginner, a beginner diver, or like you know a beginner to intermediate. <clears throat> the best way to get more bottom time is to use less energy to get down. Mm. So to actually spend some time improving your technique, mm. right? So like the ideal dive should look like this, right? You're on the surface, hanging out. You take a breath. You do a duck dive. And that duck dive should be good enough that it gets you anywhere from three to five meters depth just on the duck dive. Mm. You fin two, three, four, five, six, seven times, and then you're deep enough to start your free fall. And that's it. That's all, all the movement required to get you to whatever depth you eventually get to. The rest of it, you just sink. Mm. Um, so improving technique is probably the fastest way to get more bottom time. Um, and then besides that, increasing your actual breath holding capacity which we now we know is best and safest done in the pool um as far as depth goes improving depth the best way to do that is in a controlled environment um by which i mean diving on a line usually with someone who knows their shit <laughs> and i don't i don't mean to say if, like i'm not i'm not the kind of person that believes everyone needs to take a freediving course. Everyone needs to go and train with a freediving instructor. Obviously, I would love more money for my fellow freediving instructors and for the freediving industry. I will never begrudge that, right? Mm. But I can't in good conscious, uh, consci conscience say, like, oh, yeah, everyone needs to do it, right? Some people just don't bloody need to. Some people just don't learn well in that environment. That's mm. not, it's just not for everyone. It's a, you know what I mean? Uh, different horses for courses or whatever the saying is, you know? Mm. Uh, <laughs> but the best way to progress in depth is to 
train in a controlled environment. So mm. a, a controlled environment for depth is a buoy, a line, a weight at the bottom. So you've got a straight rope going up and down. The rope is measured. You know exactly how deep it is. And you, you practice going down and you have the appropriate safety for that environment as well. So you might have friends that are experienced enough that you feel comfortable doing that with them. There are freediving clubs that go out and do that kind of thing. Or you can, you know, have a chat to an instructor and go out with an instructor. Many different ways to do it. But that's the best way to progress, to progress depth for sure. There's some old, like, um, wisdom that says, like, you know, it should be a metre per year of age on diving and stuff. And, I, like, it, it, I don't know that it does any us any favours, this idea. What I think they're trying to do by having this saying is just encourage people to get used to the idea that training and learning to spearfish at depth is very much a gradual progression. What are your thoughts on this? Very much. I mean, look, I think uh, I think a year, a meter per year, is very conservative, um, which is not a bad thing, right? Like, it's not a bad thing to be a conservative diver. Um, I think a person can safely progress faster than that. Mm. Um, but once again, uh, like, okay, let's say, uh, like, back to our previous example of going diving in a line. You do a twenty meter dive on a line. You are you are not going to go spearing at twenty meters, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, mate, going spearing at twenty meters and doing a, li- a line dive to twenty meters totally different things. Like, I usually tell people to cut that cut in half. Mm. You know, the only reason, like, uh, you know, the only reason why it's good to do a line dive is is most is just to get the person adapted and comfortable with the depth itself, and then probably more importantly with the idea of the depth. Mm. So they're not down there and doesn't freak them out, but. Um, uh, obviously, because because spearfishing is probably the most dangerous form of breath hold diving, only because of uh, the amount of variables involved, right? We're hunting underwater. Um, then, yeah, I do think we need to be more conservative. And but I do think a meter per year is a bit slow. Like I I, I, I don't know. I think uh, I think everyone's different. If I dive more than you do in a year. Should I be able to go deeper? Like, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. you meet kids these days. They're like 18 years old. They started bloody spearing six months ago and they're comfortable, like, actually comfortable spearing fish at, at 20 odd meters. They, they, but you know, these kids go spearing every second day. They've got the time for it. So <laughs> it's just, you know what I mean? It's, um, we can't make hard and fast rules, can we? Nah, nah, nah. But it, it, I mean, some of these, some of these sayings have use. But I, I'm more mm. about, you know, giving people the principles or the, you know, the ideas that people are trying to teach underneath, un, underneath them. You know, like obviously we're totally. trying to encourage gradual progression. You know, based on, you know, like if you're in a controlled environment, it changes things too. Like if you're with an instructor, yeah. and like, yeah. Um, yeah. Cole Pickford says. If you had to choose between dynamic pull training and static, which would you choose? Ooh, baby. Uh, no, you've got to have both. You can't have favourites with your kids, all right? You've got to love them both. Um, uh, okay, so let's talk about where, where they're used. Static breath hold has two main, I suppose, applications. Now, just keep in mind, the most important thing when it comes to training static breath hold is that you never have a bad experience. So... Doing okay. This is this is this fun, this is this funny thing. People get into it and they're like, "Oh, you know, I did some tables for a month. And I held my breath for five minutes." Doesn't mean shit. Mm. It doesn't. It doesn't change or improve who you are as a diver. Mm. 
what what matters is what you can do every single day consistently and 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 comfortably as well so uh, okay when, when we're training one of the, one of the i suppose like the, the guiding principle that we all need to have when we're training in general is that at no point in time can i not enjoy this mm. now as you know, like you can experience an urge to breathe and not be like suffering. You can be like, oh yeah, I'm having an urge to breathe. And then it goes on and it gets worse and worse. And then you're like, oh, okay, I'm getting out of this thing. Yeah. Um, so the trick is to is to never go to the point where you're like, oh, mate, I don't like this or this doesn't feel good. Um, because what happens is we're playing with our fight and flight response, right? We're, we're playing with very ancient parts of our brain, which mm. are designed to keep us alive and which are designed to make us want to breathe, right? Mm. So... The second that we do breath holds that feel horrible, we make these really deep impressions in our brain, these really deep scars that full stop, no human is, has the willpower to go beyond. So when we start making negative uh, like, like impressions about breath holds and about, about diving, um, we, we, uh, what we're doing is we're throwing rocks in, on the road in front of us in terms of how, how we're, we're going to make the road rough in front of us to, in terms of our progression. Yeah. Um, it's, we're always, you know, you think you're going forward, you're actually going backwards. Mm. Um, so with static breath hold, static breath hold is the single best exercise a freediver can do to increase the period of time before they get the urge to breathe. So okay. when it comes to carbon dioxide, there are two things we're training. We're training how comfortable am I with the urge to breathe, right? I get the urge to breathe. How good does it feel? Like, am I getting this, this signal, like this panicking feeling here? Or is it like, oh, yeah, urge to breathe, sweet as. And obviously, the more we train with CO2, the duller the panic gets. It goes mm. away over time. Then we have, how long can I hold my breath for before I even get the urge to breathe? And different exercises train these two different things. So the best exercise a person can do here to train to increase a period of time before they get the urge to breathe is static breath hold. And so this means that when we're training static breath hold, it needs to always feel good. It needs to always like be a pleasant experience because you want to do it often. It's probably the best exercise. It's the, it's the foundation of all of your training. So you want to you treat it like a lady. Um, uh, and don't go hard. Like the truth is, is that no one cares how long a person can hold their breath for, right? Mm. Like it's just, if we want to flex with each other, like, oh, you know, I've got like a four minute static, mate. Um, but no one actually cares. Um, but it's, so that's what we do. We use static breath hold to increase the period of time that we can hold our breath for without getting the urge to breathe. Um, and we use it to train us to, to be relaxed over a longer period like period of time in a breath hold as in like to be having contractions, to be having an urge to breathe mm. and developing our ability to be relaxed in that environment. Mm. Then dynamic breath hold will, will apply a lot of that to a dive. So it'll, um, it'll make you more comfortable with the urge to breathe as you're swimming. It'll, it'll, it'll also increase the period of time depending on the exercise you're doing. Right. Um, but more specifically, it, it, it gets, it gets you working with the muscles you use for a dive. So it applies everything more specifically to a dive. It makes your body work anaerobically. It makes your body work without oxygen. You do, you do a lot of swimming underwater and the muscles in your legs get accustomed to working without oxygen. And then that means as you go diving, you're not bloody using any of the oxygen, are you? You're using other things. So <laughs> I think it's a hard one to to um, get used to too. Particularly, do you think um, muscle mass is adverse to to, to mm. good, good free diving? Mate, you need those muscles. A, nothing nothing is more attractive in the freediving community than a fucking monster ass, like a bucket <laughs> ass. You know what I mean? Like like a rugby ass. That's what you need. And B. <laughs> yeah, like you, like <laughs> your body 
your body stores oxygen in muscles, mm-hmm. right? So your muscles, muscles aren't a consumer of oxygen. Muscles are a storehouse of oxygen. Okay. That's how we have to be thinking of this. Muscles are good. The only, the only issue with muscle, and this is only for deep freediving, spirits doesn't even matter at all. Mm. For a deep freediver, you don't want to be too built around the lungs because then it affects how your body handles pressure. Mm. But if you look at all the all the deepest freedivers in the world, like all the deepest freedivers are trying to get monster legs. Monster legs, monster ass. Like that's where it's at. Yeah, righto. Um, like, oh, I, lost, I lost my train of thought there. Excuse me. Um, you, got, you got stuck on thinking about all the blokes and their bucket asses, didn't you? Oh, no, I've got... I had a guy write me years ago saying basically like too much muscle mass is, is not good. I had a guy on here who did the longer and deeper book and he was quite keen on training muscle mass. He didn't yes. really make it a thing. Um, but, you know, there was lots of stuff in there. Like he liked hypoxic squats and there was all sorts of craziness in there. That I, I really enjoyed the discussion anyway. But um, I wanted to ask well, – oh, sorry, you go. No, I was going to say uh, – I, I don't actually know how to pronounce the name – Jap or Yap. Yap uh, Vabas, yeah. Yap, Yap, who's done longer and deeper. Like he actually knows what he's talking about. Like he's mm. an actual exercise physiologist and mm. like he actually knows what's going on in the body when we do these things. So if he says squat deep, you squat deep. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> right, we we haven't really given a, a, a many caveats to safety with um, with pool training here. I want to just mm. cover off some of the practicalities of um, of breath hold training. Obviously, we've got we we talked about static um, training just before, but we didn't didn't really differentiate or apply the distinction of dry versus in the pool. Um, sure. Which one's more effective? Uh, it's more effective in the pool. Everything is more effective in the water. But that's not the like. I would I would go as far as to say a dry static is 80, 80 to ninety percent uh, as good as a wet static. Okay. You know, like you're not you're not losing a whole lot. But obviously, as as far as safety goes, like um, anything you do in the water, you have to have a competent buddy watching you. And I, I say that I mean, like I, I get a lot of people saying like, oh, I went to the pool with my missus the other day, and I was like, oh, what is she gonna do if you black out? And he's like, oh, you know, tell a lifeguard. <laughs> Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, I know exactly what you mean. You said eighty to ninety percent um, as effective as a, as a, as a pool static. Um, apparently, eighty four point seven percent of people make up their own statistics. Is that a true of you as well? Mate, I just that was a, a guesstimation. That one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate it. It's nice. It's nice. It's nice to have an, an estimate there. I I, I did well, love it. it I, I feel like I could say, oh, it's just about as good or it's almost as good, and then it leaves too much uh, of an imp- like of a, oh, well, what, you know. And yeah, you nah. know, you know, uh, People take your words in weird ways, don't they? I appreciated the the, the, <laughs> the, the, the explanation. Um, so with a pull training, have, have, have someone there that knows what to do in the event of a blackout or even a samba or any of that. LMC, loss of motor yep. control, all these trendy yep. words. Um, yep. I love the, you know, the bull sharks here in Brisbane, fantastic. You know, specifically, mm-hmm. really, a lot of the training was specifically designed for Spiros. So I really like Wayne, Wayne's um, Wayne's stuff and, and the club and the culture that's sort of created. But not everywhere has these, these, these things. Like, I know you've been a part of these groups. How can people do that themselves? Um, I tell you, well, okay, so let's say, well, I mean, the first thing to do is to check to check your local area to be like, hey, is there a spearing club here? Is there a, is there a training group going on? And if there's not, um, make one yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know how to do that, send me an email and we'll line it up. Do you know what I mean? Like, 
I was, I was just thinking, like, I was thinking, oh, shit, what am I going to tell these people if there's, like, literally, like, no no one training there? Mm. Um, yeah, well, just send me an email. <laughs> sometimes, and we'll have a chat. Because sometimes there's issues with um, insurance and liabilities for swimming pools these days. Def- like, definitely. you know, that guy with his girlfriend that's gone along and blacked out, he's pretty much ruined it all for the rest of us. Um, yep. Now we require insurance or some sort of covering. In Australia, there's the AFA, but in the USA, I'm sure it's completely different. Um, might be able to ask oh. um, some of the other guys after that. It, it, it's it's totally different. Um, it's it's uh, it's hard because I'm, uh, yeah, I, I, I just remembered that you've got a pretty bloody international audience. Mm. Um, I mean, as far as getting access to pools go, that's going to be something different everywhere. But as far as you know, what we should probably do. We should probably make like a little um, directory. Little imp- yeah, or, or an, I was going to say like an info pack, like, you okay. know, like these are the considerations you need to take in if you and your buddies are going to go and train in the pool. Keep this in mind, keep this in mind, keep this in mm, mind. Mm, Here's a few it. exercises you can start with. Love yeah? it. Let's do a PDF. Let's yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Cool, all right. All right. Cool. I'll bang it on today's show notes. So it'll be um, noobspiro forward slash, uh, noobspiro.com forward slash Ignatius because that's really <laughs> Now, what was your other one that you did? <laughs> what was your other one there that you did? Um, scorched ball sack. So noobspirit.com yeah. <laughs> forward slash scorched ball sack. Scolded, uh, scolded ball sack, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll try and get a PDF together for guys that um, the considerations for, you know, freedive training for spearing at their swimming pool. That, that That's probably yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Right, I like it. That'd be awesome. Uh, maybe everyone could help out too if we miss some information, like in your part of the world, if it's freaky and weird. Um, Definitely. We, we could add that information in there. If your buddy had a blackout on your next beer fishing trip, think, what would the outcome of that be? Do you know how to revive someone from a blackout? Would you even be in a position to do something about it? Or would you be diving, chasing after a fish as your buddy sinks down to the bottom of the ocean? Do you know where most blackouts happen? Do you know what you can do to minimize your risk of having a blackout? My name is Ted Hardy, and I'm the founder of freedivingsafety.com. In my free online course, you will learn the truth about shallow water blackout, the myth of, I don't push myself, I know my limits, I'm in tune with my body, how to minimize your risk of having a blackout, and most importantly, how to save your buddy's life if they have one. Visit freedivingsafety.com to sign up for your free course today. Dive safe out there. It's it's not even that hard. Equalizing questions. Are we right to move on? We're going to come back to deeper spearfishing, but can we do some EQ stuff? Yeah, for sure we can. I've got two here. Um, Andrew Baker says, can everyone hands-free equalize? Uh, Yes. Theoretically. (laughs) 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 There is is nothing stopping every human from hands-free equalizing. Mm Mm-mm. Whether every human has the patience, willingness, and ability to learn it is a different story. Learning how to hands-free equalize is effectively learning how to raise an eyebrow, right? So it's muscle isolation mm-hmm. with a muscle inside your mouth that you, that you can't see and you can't feel moving as you descend into deeper and deeper levels of pressure as you hold your breath. Yeah, yep, yep. So it's, it, that's why it's a complicated thing because we can't see what we're doing and because we're going deeper and deeper and deeper all the time, everything in the mouth feels different. At every depth, you're going to feel something different and depending on how you're equalizing what's going on, it's all going to feel different. Mm. So th- there's a lot of variables involved in a person mm. learning how to hands-free equalize. Um, I usually say that if a person is dedicated 
to learn hands-free, they will be able to pick it up in about a month's time if they practice every day. But I remember, you know, I, yeah. I remember back in the day when I started to get into spearfishing, and I went looking for equalising stuff, and I came across this this guy's PDF called the Frenzel Fatah yep. thing, and it was a forty-page document, and he made things sound about as complicated as you could get. I don't know if he was academically <laughs> educated. Academics seem to like making things more complicated and more difficult than they need to be. I yep. really like your stuff. You don't worry about saying T lock and S. Trap and all this bullshit. It's just <laughs> do this, do that, bang. And um, is hands free like that? Like, is it yes. like like one, two, three, boom? Practice those exact, three things. It is exactly like that, okay. except I can't see it. Does that make sense? Like when I'm sitting there and I look at you doing frenzel, I can say, hey, this is what I'm looking for. Look at them. Look in the mirror and see if you can see this thing moving. Mm. It's exactly like that, but. It's, it's harder to pinpoint because I can't say, hey, and can you see this moving when you're doing it? Because it's all internal. I haven't organised this with you at all. We've got no prior arrangement. I am aware that you've got um, some courses that teach people specific facets of these things. You haven't, <laughs> you haven't asked me to do this. People no. have mentioned it. I also haven't negotiated anything with you with regards to a discount code for my listeners, so I'm doing this completely by the seat of my pants. Can we do that? Yeah, done. Uh, I'll make a discount code in 20 minutes called um, Scolded Bullsack. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make it Noob Spiro. That's it. I'll make it yeah, Noob Spiro. Be better. I like and it. we'll give them a discount and that'll be easy. I'll send that to you after right. this. Because you've got a hands-free equalising course, I believe. Yeah, I do, yeah. Okay, perfect. That'll be awesome. Cool. Like I think um, how long does that course take and you're saying it's a month of conscious effort once you sort of tune it up? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the, the course is tied in with uh, a Frenzel course. So it's okay. like a it's a it's all it's a basic Frenzel, an advanced Frenzel, and a hands free course all wrapped up in one. Um, and there's probably what how many videos we got in that bloody thing? I've probably got about twenty five odd videos that okay. go from anywhere from five to fifteen minutes. So what's that work out to be? About three hours, four hours of content. It'd be interesting. Um I'm hoping I can get free access so I can just have a look oh, myself. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that's, just, that's just stuff. Because I would be, like, I haven't done much freediving past 30 metres and I'm aware that mm. you start needing to use um, some other techniques. I, I want to get into mouthfeel and stuff in a sec. But um, yeah. um, Jake Cross says uh, common issues with equalising, uh, one ear equalises before the other. We kind of talked about this on our first episode. You've got some... Sp- specific exercises, free videos up on YouTube about stretching mm-hmm. the eustachian tubes. Is that is my memory yes. correct? Yep. So, so uh, th- there's a few reasons why one ear can equalise uh, before the other, but the um, let's just say the, the solution to solve the issue is the same regardless of what the issue is. And what we need to do is make the, the, the eustachian tubes more flexible so that mm. they, they require less pressure to open. Um, yep. I've got a video called Why Can't I Equalise uh, on YouTube. And cool. it just goes through like the list of all the things that could be going wrong and gives you the solutions to it. And then the, the solution to that, I call it TTS, which is tight tube syndrome, which is something I, something I invented, like all my statistics. Nice. And, um, and, <laughs> and then it's got the exercise to stretch them in that. <laughs> nice. And what percentage of people suffer from this narrow eustachian tube um, I would go as far as to say anything from 25 to 35% yeah. of the wow, population. Wow, that's quite, that's quite a lot. Um, I that's remember a real you... statistic, by the way. That's real. Like that, that's, that's what I get on my freediving courses. That's, yep. So that covers about three to 4,000 people as a subject mm. group. Are they the same people that are the feet down, feet first equalizers? 
Oh, no, not yes and no. Sometimes the tubes can be so inflexible, you need to go feet down, but Mm. the feet down equalizers are people that have soft palate issues. I've got a mate, uh, I don't want to say his name on here. I love diving with him. He's a fantastic bloke. Uh, (laughs) He's he's got a he's got a great breath hold, like he'll do a shame, baby. He'll nah, nah, he'll do a <laughs> I, I won't name and shame. He'll do a hundred meters flat out in the pool. But like he stops wanting to go diving with a few of us because um his eustachian tubes hold him back from taking on anything beyond probably fifteen meters. But he's a sniper, yeah. like he's a weapon sparrow, great fitness, fantastic breath hold, just really narrow eustachian tubes and it holds him back from spearing like he could. Has he uh, has he worked on increasing their flexibility? He has, but I don't know if he's followed any sort of uh, regimented program for, for, for a prolonged period of time. If you do, just say you do a month, you put in a month to your eustachian tubes, yeah. like making them better and more flexible and all that, um, is that a lasting um, adaptation or is that something that oh, he's yeah. going to continuously have to Totally. Do? No, no, mate. You put a, you put a month of work in. That's going to last your lifetime. Obviously, you, let's say you have six months. We do nothing. It'll go back, but it'll never go back to what it was. Okay. I really miss diving with him, but he knows that you know a bunch of us sort of like the deeper drops, and um, not that we dive deep all the time or whatever. But like he, no, he no, can't... go on, mate. You tell, you tell. You're too deep for this bloke now. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm, <laughs> I'm still hopeless. I go out most of the time on the boats, and I'm still a lot of the time I'm not one of the deep guys. But but it stops him from wanting to come out because I think he just he doesn't want to hold anyone else back. You know. Yeah, and, I get um, you. He, he prefers shallower than 10 metres and um, mm-hmm. a lot of the sparing that, you know, a lot of us enjoy, you know, probably that 15 plus sort of stuff, it, it just seems to be there's less sparrows there so there's more fish. And, and, and I think also the species kind of opens up a little bit as the stuff that you don't get, I suppose, every day, right? Because I suppose, like, if you, if you think about what, do you, you know, what, do you spe- what have you speared most of your life, it's probably been the shallower stuff. So it's just a mm. bit more exciting to be like, oh, you know, we don't get this species so shallow. Or, maybe, you know, maybe we'll run into this down here. Who knows? Maybe, right. uh, maybe a red moong. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Deeper freedive spearfishing questions. Uh, it's still an yep. equalising question, but Kurt, mm-hmm. who's one of the moderators on the Noob Spiro Facebook community, fantastic bloke, he says, how do you equalise when you go past that 30 metre plus mark? Um, he says, I recently dived to 30 metres on a course, felt like had to equalise slightly different once I hit about the 25 mm-hmm. metre mark. I've heard of having to bring air back into your mouth. I wasn't mm-hmm. down there long enough to work out what was going on, uh, but I was still able to equalise just slightly different to normal. Is there any yeah. dry training I can do for this technique? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, okay, so uh, this is this is what tends to happen. So there, there's there's two ways to bring air from the lungs to the mouth uh, in order to frenzel, right? Mm. Now... Just, just so I think that sometimes when people learn about frenzel equalization, they think like, oh, you know, we're using the air in our mouth to equalize. But, and that's true, but the air in your mouth runs out, <laughs> right? Mm, mm, yeah. And actually every like three to five meters, you need to replenish it. Mm. So now like what he said is basically after 25 meters, that's when he noticed that he had to change his technique. So the biggest difference uh, when you sort of, I suppose people are frenzling and they go deeper than 20 or that, that 20 to 25 meter mark is that now you're too deep for any kind of valsalva to work. So maybe in the past he was just pushing a little bit with his lungs mm. and inflating his mouth with uh, or sorry, like, like putting air into his mouth so he could keep frenzling with it. Mm. doesn't mean he was like doing a huge push as in a huge stomach mm. equalization, the valsalva equalization. He's probably just nudging a bit of air up and then frenzling it into his ears where now that's not going to work and he needs to use a reverse pack. 
A reverse pack is the other way that we get air from the lungs to the mouth, and it's with suction. It's like a, it's also it's called a, a groper call or a grouper call in the states. Grouper. Grouper. God bless America. That <laughs> <laughs> you you do that way too well. Oh, uh, it's because I, I I used to like I asked um, I had Spearing Magazine sponsor the podcast, yeah. and um, yeah. and we've had a great arrangement with Jeremy. I really <laughs> like him. A fantastic magazine, but I asked him to leave me some voice messages. Um, to create adverts and then he wouldn't do it so I was like you know what I'm just going to do it on your behalf bro. <laughs> good man and he told me off because I was a bit political in one just being cheeky and yeah. um but yeah but anyway that, that's neither here nor there so the, <laughs> the grouper the mouthful grouper crawl. Yeah, yeah so you, just, you suck it up and you make this noise effectively mm. Um, and you do okay. like you know ideally, uh, and everyone can can do this right because it's uh, doing this is a pretty standard part of speech or use the muscles that we use to do this are pretty standard for speech so we can all do it. Okay. Yeah, and, yeah. and what we're doing there is we're sucking, we're using our mouth and throat to suck air from our lungs into our mouth. Okay. And so every three to five meters, you need to do a groper call to replenish the air in your mouth to keep friends link deeper. Okay. And you, you, I mean, look, I, I've done groper calls at 100 meters and then equalized and gone deeper. So you can do it very deep. The deeper you go, the more considerations you need to have in place. So the technique is slightly different when you're deeper than sort of 40 odd meters. Okay. But in essence, it's the same. You just suck the air up, you equalize with it. And if he's getting to the point where he's like, I just can't suck it up, mm. it's usually because he hasn't done it frequently enough to get to that point, right? So you got to, like, if you're doing it like intermittently, You'll never be like, oh, I can't get in the air. And this is the noise that people get when they when they have uh, not groper called enough. They hear this one underwater. <laughs> That's the sound of stress of trying to suck it up. Okay. And if you're doing it constantly, you won't get that. But if you're not doing it enough, you get down here and you haven't done it, then it's like it's too oh. much pressure's built up and you just can't get it up. Yeah, it's not a problem I have a lot, to be honest. <laughs> but but also, like if he's just gone to 30 metres like once or twice uh, on a freediving course, mm. He's probably not genuinely like you know at peace with the world at 30 meters. Like, you know what I mean? He could probably he, he could nah. be more comfortable down there, right? And so that also plays plays a role. It's funny, like as you talk, like I start to remember some some like I have some some muscle memory of some of the things that you're talking about. It's like it's just funny to hear someone verbalize some of it. Like um, I, I'm quite intrigued about doing a deep equalizing thing. So is, it's called reverse pack mouthfeel. Is it? Is that right? Or is uh, it no, just... just reverse packing. So oh, yeah. reverse packing is a, a standard part of like the normal frenzel technique. Okay. It's the way that we get air from the lungs to the mouth to frenzel. Most people. Oh, I lost your audio there for a sec. Oh, you're back. Sorry, someone yep. was calling me. Oh. Most you're... people do it naturally. Um, without even knowing that they're doing it. But as we go deeper, we tend to have to be a bit more active about it because the pressure increases and it can't just be this little thing we're doing. It has to be something very specific and controlled. And you've got to do it regularly. Otherwise, you exactly. get desperate and make the call of the dying dolphin. <laughs> Mate, that's going to stick, eh? I'm yeah. going to use that. <laughs> Point. Yeah. Joe, Joe Pedro, he says, can you share your wisdom on chin tuck? Actually, let me read out a series of questions here because that's yeah. kind of related. Joe says, can you share your wisdom on chin tuck dive and what injuries can be caused by looking out in front of you, like neck extension, typical mm -hmm. spearfishing form compared to proper dive form, the little things that cause nightmares due to a lack of under pressure knowledge, basically. Mackenzie says, I've got a similar question to Joe. Once you start going over 30 to 40 metres, how long does it take your body to acclimatise to the new depths? If you've done all your stretches and relaxing on the top perfectly, what are some of the little things like 
neck, move, neck, neck movements that we should be careful of and how long, how many dives to depth until you can start to move your head a little more comfortably. So they're kind of related. <laughs> yeah. But lots of questions. It's just a huge Yeah. Question. Yeah. So that that's probably a bit uh, – I can't give an answer for some of those questions. Like uh, as in, hey, you know, do three dives to 20 metres and then you should be okay to move your neck around a bit more. Do five dives to 30 metres and then you should, you know, like that, that, that isn't possible to give that answer. Um, and everyone's going to have a different level of flexibility of, of, uh, of their... Um, of their bloody trachea hmm. and of, of the, and, and the muscles around their lungs. Like we're, we all are going to have different abilities here that people mm -hmm. are kind of just going to have to work out for themselves. And for the most part, uh, not work it out. And <laughs> then like just do the conservative thing and not ever run the risk of doing it. Mm. Um, but so the chin tuck, uh, the chin tuck is interesting because on a, on, on a free diving course and like kind of jazz, everyone's always teaching like, oh, tuck your chin in and you know, don't look ahead and la di da. <laughs> and, when I teach Spiros to dive, I don't really talk too much about the – I talk a little bit about, obviously, the safety of that, but the, the bigger element is actually, like, you know, keep a streamlined body to cut through the positive buoyancy. And then once you're deeper than, you know, anything – it depends how deep you're diving, right? Once you're through the positive buoyancy and you start to become neutral and negatively buoyant, open up, look around, um, because – you know, you're hunting. <laughs> yeah, you need to, yeah, you know, right? Like you need to know where you go. You need to know what you're doing. Mm. Um, uh, so the chin tuck for me is most appropriate in spearfishing as a performance tool to get through positive buoyancy. And then if you're going, if you're doing some deep spearfishing, like 20 meters and below, then it becomes a consideration for, for safety. And in that regard, I would say that everyone is different. Everyone will develop flexibility and everyone will adapt to the, to pressure in, in different time frames over a different number of dives. Um, what I usually recommend is for people to, uh, like when they're doing deeper, deeper dive spearing, is to instead of like getting down the bottom and going like, whoa, hey, how you going, is to move their torso with their body, if that makes sense. Yeah. You can still get a full, pretty full range of motion just by like, you know, swiveling your head around a little bit. And if you need to look up like this, just lift your whole body up as opposed to... Like, like just... Up. Just because it's an audio show, what you're mm. sort of demonstrating to me is you look like one of those inflatable toys with the weight on the bottom and yes. the kids just punch them and the whole thing moves over. Yes. Yeah, so nice. bend, bend back from bend, like keep the body straight and bend back from the entire torso as opposed to sticking the neck out and stretching the neck and yeah, risking righto. hurting your trachea and lungs. Just move your whole chest back. Or like you know, pivot from the hips so that your whole body is moving around to see what's mm. going on. And so I remember, I remember listening to the Free Dive Cafe po podcast, and Donnie's pretty passionate about like some of the because I think in the free diving community, like the deeper free diving community, like it's like a lot of people just assume it's it's a matter of when, not if, with um, lung and trachea squeeze, and um, <laughs> yeah, sometimes. And, I, <laughs> and so what you're saying is conservative, a conservative approach as well, but it's like. I don't know. How do you know when you're on the edge? You don't. That's the issue. You don't have nerve endings in this part of your body. You'll mm. come to the surface, you'll cough up blood. And that's either your throat bleeding or your trachea bleeding or your lungs bleeding. Mm. And all of them are bad. <laughs> so um, you really, like, you desperately want to avoid that kind of an injury. It can have a lasting effect on your diving. So for guys wanting to dive a bit deeper, I mean, do you, do you just practice adopting better body language to minimise your chance even when you're yes. starting to hunt shallower? Uh, I mean, you know, 
Um, what, if your intention is to spear deeper, then that's a good approach, I think. Mm. But I suppose what I, I don't, I don't personally like teaching people techniques that are really good for like what I would think like, like 1%. Spearing, oh, yeah, exactly. Spearing 20 meters and below is it's a very small number of people who actually do that. Mm. Um, so I, I just teach everything that's appropriate to spear anything from zero to 15 to 20 ish. And then deeper than that, then, you know, I, we have a chat about different things. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, that's the kind of, I suppose the kind of mode that I like to go for. Cool. Cool. I've had a mate that had it and, um, mm. you know, he, he, he spent four months out of the water, went back, got it again and yep. only, and he wasn't even diving deep, maybe 21, 22 metres. Yep. And then um, so he had a six-month break and then he went back out. He's just, I don't think he's ever really been the same and, and his confidence hasn't come back at depth either. Mate, 100%. Like this is what it can have a it – can, it can make you a pretty much a non-diver mm. having these lung injuries. So you really want to avoid it. Um, and it's, and it's fairly easy to avoid, right? You just don't don't really open the body up at depth. If you're going to move around, move around with the entire torso. Um, and, and I suppose, like, you know, before we were talking about, like, depth adaptation, like, you know, oh, you know, go down the line, dive to 20 metres. Doesn't mean you can spear at 20 metres. Bridging the gap between your, your deepest depth and your spearing depth, that's a process of, of years, not necessarily, um, you know, hitting a number on a line. That's a mm. very different story. Nice. Um, Mackenzie had some more questions that was sort of aligned to this adaptation idea. Mm -hmm. He remembers you talking about um, how you could come back after a month uh, uh, with no training and pretty much start from where you had left off. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, that's not probably the same for all, you know, like depth, but in terms of performance yeah. in a dynamic environment, maybe it's the same. Can you talk to this? Yeah, so so what we're talking about here is, is just a, a long-term adaptation in the body. Um, that you get after years, you know what I mean? Like I, I remember maybe earlier in my career when I'd like I'd train really intensively, I'd have a month or two off, I'd come back and I'd feel like shit. And it'd mm. take me like, you know, oh, maybe like a week or, or two weeks or three weeks to get back into good form. And then as the years go on and, and you just keep training, keep getting better, your body just learns and it just stays. The, the adaptations become more permanent. Mm. Um, and now, you know, for example, the start of this year, I was uh, living in the Philippines um, going nuts. I'm just going to quickly get my little charger for the phone. Um, I was living in the Philippines, going nuts, training full time. Then this bloody virus came around. Someone eats a bat and I'm back in Australia. Um, <laughs> and uh, well, a, pang a pangolin. A pangolin. <laughs> Whatever it was. Someone made love to a pangolin. Yeah. If, you follow, if you know the South Park episode I'm talking about. No, um, I don't. Oh, mate, you can get onto it. <laughs> uh, I would have paid you for some of the what, South Park, no? No, sometimes it's more just time, time. Yeah, Opp for sure. Opp opportunity cost, you know, like if I've yep, got an definitely. hour, how do I want to spend it? So yep. S South Park ranks fairly low these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it, well, anyway, they have a whole COVID episode about someone fucking a pangolin. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Sounds so like it's in line with my research anyway. So yes. you, you, we were talking about adaptation and, and um, the Chinese thing disrupted you. Oh, yes. Yeah. So so anyway, then I, I get back home, I keep training in the pool, and then I kind of realised, you know, at the start when COVID was going on, uh, like I think we all had the impression that, oh, you know, after a few months everything will go back to normal. And then we all made the realisation, oh, yeah, in three to five years everything will go back to normal. Um, so when I made that realization, I was like, oh shit, I might just, uh, relax and, uh, you know, enjoy my life a little bit now. And, mm -hmm. um, and I did that for a few months and just didn't train. And then I went and did a pool session 
And I, I did the, like, and it was a hard pull session. And I did the exact same times um, mm. in the exercise that I was doing when I was like, at my absolute peak. Mm. Um, so, like, it just, I think the longer you've been at it, the longer you hold on to it. And, uh, you know, I, I, like, yeah, that's probably about all I need to say. Yeah, longer no, you, all good. Yeah. The longer you've been training, the longer you hold on to it, the shorter you've been training, the, maybe the more you'll need to, you know, is, spend ramping is, it back up. Is that the same for depth as well? Like, if, like oh, you, you, you've done 100 metres. If you went back mm-hmm. out and you had opportunity to do, like, Dean's Blue Hole or one of these yeah. other famous cool. locations, you, you could – how long would it take you to start getting back and maybe even replicating or – Oh, look, it would take me two to three weeks to reach probably PB again. But that's um, that's probably going a bit fast, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, you probably wouldn't want to go that fast. Mm-hmm. Um, if you'd want to have the luxury to go slower, but in terms of what my body could do, two or three weeks, I could comfortably be back there. To be to be honest, I could probably be back there faster. It just feel like us. Mm-hmm. Like I just wouldn't feel good doing it. Thomas Rapard uh, had some similar questions to what we've been talking about: adaptation to depth. I'm not going to give you his question because I feel like we've given it a real good um, coverage. But th- <laughs> thanks for your Sorry, question. Tom. Yeah. <laughs> This episode of the New Sparrow Podcast is brought to you by the world's greatest spearfishing magazine, Spearing Magazine. There are news and reviews for the latest spearfishing equipment and gadgets inside. There's practical how-to and DIY-type articles. There's spearing adventures from crazy noobers like you from all over the world. And uh, it's, it's a magazine that you can pick up or you can look at, and if you've got the digital subscription, you can flick through and let it inspire your next spearfishing adventure even if you're having a dry run, keep the stoke alive. Check it out at spearingmagazine.com. If you're away from the good old USA, though, check out the international subscription. That's at spearingmagazine.com. Simple, accurate, deadly. Use the code NOOB, N-O-O-B, and save $30 on any spear gun for a limited time only. Go to killshotspearguns.com. Check them out for yourself. Handmade in the Florida Keys by Ed Martin. Use the code NOOB, N-O-O-B, or head into the shop and say, Crikey, mate. And apparently Ed will hook you up with a $30 discount on any timber spear gun. Get your hands on one, killshotspearguns.com. Rob says, um, moving on to lighter things, Adam, um, when is Adam having an underwater UFC rematch with Adam? Um, Oh! Mate, Adam Sellers is scared for round three. I just want to put that one out there. Round one, he took. Round two was all me. And, like, word on the street is that he's actually terrified for round three of that. Yeah. It reminded me... Um, you reminded me like of a of a young Captain America, and he definitely had that Thor sort of vibe going. I feel like <laughs> you should take a hammer down, do a Marvel sort of underwater recreation. Of we should totally do that. <laughs> so for anyone not familiar with uh, with this, they've filmed a, um, a, a funny sort of fight scene on the on the bottom of the the sea floor. It's pretty it's pretty good to watch. Um, <laughs> Craig McNiven, the he has a lot to do with the the Tweed Gold Coast freedivers. He says, "Oh yeah." He had a it's, a, it's a, it's a different sort of question. He said, what are the hurdles of running a freediving business, cash flow, cancellations, COVID, marketing, customer retention? Is it like a, a dream to do what you love for an income every day? Could you get the business to a point where it could be run without you? Uh, all right. So uh, let's unpack this. 
it's really easy. Oh, can we reverse? Make... Can we reverse packet? Oh, I see what you did Sorry, there. Sorry, that was a dad joke. Yeah, <laughs> we're all about dad jokes here, aren't we? <laughs> um, it's really easy to make a living as a freediving instructor um, in Australia, <laughs> yeah. right? This is very different to other parts of the world. Um, other parts of the world, there's a little bit less demand. Um, I, I really can't speak for most parts of the world, to be absolutely honest with you, but in Australia, um, many people take a freediving instructor course and next week they are full-time freediving instructors. Wow. Um, that's just the level of demand that we have in Australia. And that's just, you know, uh, I suppose like where the industry is at at the moment, uh, as far as like, you know, supply and demand. Mm. Um, how long will it take you until you can leave the business alone? I would, I would probably go as far as to say a reasonably long period of time, like maybe three to five years. Um, it's not going to be the kind of business that you just set up and immediately it's just running itself and you employ someone else. Uh, for the most part, how many freediving instructors live in your bloody area, right? You got to you got to have someone like me train some prick up, and then you got to make sure they're doing your thing, and you know what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like um, it's um, if there's no freediving instructor in your area and you're considering taking a freediving instructor uh, instructor course to then make a business, I would go as far as to say it'll be a while before there's another freediving instructor in your area that you can employ to also run things while you hang out. Mm. Um, but also then, uh, free, di free diving instruction, you have to become quite big in order to uh, justify someone else's wage and it's still make enough money for you to make a living. So you would, I would, I would say you probably need to be teaching. Or how, well, here's the thing, how much bloody money do you want to earn, right? Mm. You some, some, if you want to earn 50 grand a year and live a simple, easy life, easy. You want to earn a hundred grand a year, uh, you'll be busier, right? You'll be hustling a little bit more. Um, you, if you, if you want to, if you want to employ someone else and earn a hundred grand a year, you can see where I'm going with this thing. But yeah, for the yeah. most part, there's a lot of money to make in freediving. It's an, it's a fairly easy industry to crack and get it, get into. Um, and, uh, yeah, not enough people are doing it. <laughs> you know those franchises, like, they have, like, Ed's Lawn Mowing and then Ed's Pet Grooming. Have you ever thought about doing that? Adam's Freediving Instructors? Adam's like, Freediving. Just, just, just creating your own uh, your own body. I know you're uh, a emulsion of um, uh, Jedi. Yeah, well, I mean, like, but, but Moltsnovs <laughs> don't have any freediving centres, right? Like, they're, a, uh, they're an education um system yeah uh yeah i have thought about that i have i have thought about setting up franchises and things like that if anyone if anyone wants a Adamstone franchise <laughs> yeah. um no I'm, I'm actually about to launch a, a brand separate to my name that oh. um that has the ability to do that um now in that regard oh, sorry have i have i have i chucked you in the the secret source end of things nah, the, the private nah, side. not at okay. all not oh. at all not at all you, you're probably aware that i don't really have many secrets i've got a huge mouth and um things just fly out of it <laughs> <laughs> um so i'm gonna i'm gonna be setting up a like a, a dive center soon and then hopefully we can we can set that dive center up in multiple locations um, whether we have a franchising model or whether we just I set them up myself and have other people run them and they get paid a salary, la di da. Mm. Who knows? It probably depends on the person, right? Like, yeah. you've, I, th I don't know. You probably need to know someone pretty well before you let them franchise your business. Hundred percent. Yeah. I was going to say to you, like, it's kind of related to all of the stuff we've talked about today. It was um, so you know earlier we were talking about training that little voice in your head 
You know, like that, that's to yep. me what a freediving instructor helps you do. So it seems to be like you need to find a freediving instructor that can help you train your voice to do what you've got to do in order to do it. Obviously, there's a lot of the technical sides of things as well. Yes. I remember you talking about how you choose your freediving instructor is very dependent on basically how your personalities work and interact Totally, together. totally. Mm. Yeah, yeah, oh, mate, like, uh, like, I, like obviously I have a lot of technical freediving knowledge but if you don't like me, <laughs> mm. you're not going to learn anything from me yeah. or you're not going to want to or, you know what I mean? Like, I'm I, think a I, a, I think only 2.13% of people don't like you. Oh, uh, I don't know. I'm a, I, think, I think I'm a bit of a, I think I'm a bit of a wacky bloke, if that makes sense. And some yeah. people just think I'm a bit weird and that's okay. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, heaps of people don't like me too, but they like all the guests <laughs> that I have on the show. So thankfully they come yeah, back. Well, that, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's good. Um, well, cool. Um, so that was cool to have sort of some some business type related dis discussions because I think we, uh, we can go into it more. I'm just not sure how many of your listeners will be genuinely interested yeah, you in know, the monetary breakdown. You know, I think you know one temptation that everyone has when they are passionate about a specific thing, whether it's spearfishing or freediving or. Whatever it is, you know, like mm. you, you start to, to entertain the idea of turning your passion into a legitimate income. So you can yep. start doing more of what you love every day. And you're yep. very much a person that does that. And, and I think the, you know, the, the, the Noob Spirit community questions are reflective of that, you know, like mm. a lot of people, you know, they consider it, whether it's commercial diving or, or whether mm -hmm. it's free diving instruction. And, I, and um, yeah, I thought, th yeah, it's good, it's good to have that. That talk, so it was cool. Yeah, well, I tell you, I tell you what. In saying all that, here is another thing you want to consider before making freediving instruction or spearfishing instruction um, your your full time, uh, I suppose, employment or getting into the industry. Do you love freediving? Do you love spearfishing? Or do you love teaching? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Right, because your job is not spearing and diving. Your job is teaching, and if you don't love teaching, you're going to get over it real fast. Mm. You've got to, you've got to love it all. Otherwise, it's just not for you, and that's totally fine. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, no, it raises some more philosophical questions that I might, might ask you at another time. Um, Jason Harris says, uh, not strictly diet-related, re but does Adam have any food items he avoids when leading up to a dive day to keep the sinus systems clean? Um, I... Yeah. I had, um, we talked about Yarp for Bass earlier. He dug through the research and he couldn't find any correlation between dairy and mucus uh, production. Like he could there find. Isn't... So it's kind of, it's just this old freediving anecdote that's been passed around, but it doesn't necessarily have much truth to it. What, exactly. What's your... Okay. Well, that, that, that is exactly the scenario. So I t I'll tell you what increases mucus production is lactose intolerance. Ah, <laughs> uh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's enough of the population, in fact, I'm sure we can find a statistic for this, uh, that are actually, to some greater or lesser extent, lactose intolerant, even if they don't bloody know it, right? Um, these are the people that, you know, have a glass of milk and they get all snotty. If you don't have a lactose intolerance, you can do whatever the hell you like. I'm, I'm like smashing, smashing all kinds of dairy and loving it. Um, mm. But I don't have tricky sinuses and I don't have a lactose intolerance. Um, but... Uh, as far as foods to avoid, I think, to be absolutely honest with you, the, the only real one that I avoid is alcohol. So if okay. I'm getting ready for a big dive, I, I don't want to 
dehydrate my body. I don't want to fatigue my body with drinking alcohol. Everything else just goes like, you know, go nuts, eat all the chocolate, you'll be right. <laughs> I remember reading up about this lactose thing and um, one of the arguments that, because there's this, there's this people that are obsessed with um, anti-dairy, anti-meat, right? The yep. anti-dairy people, they they're say called, that... They're called vegans. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's ideological and it's... Oh. Ah. But anyway, they, they, they think that, um, you know, that their argument is that infants have these enzymes or these digestive um, things, capabilities in their body when they're infants to digest their mother's milk. However, yes. as you grow older and your stomach starts to get more complicated, that's when you start adding solid food and blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. And then you sort of, you taper off your, your intake of lactose-related food. And some people say that as an adult, we, don't, we lack that enzyme completely. And that's really what lactose intolerance is. Well, that's that's what I've re like looked into as well. Like, obviously, like the same thing has come up in sort of my reading. Mm. My response to that is that I don't have enzymes and the ability for lots of the foods and things that I do and things that I eat, but I still mm. do it because it's good. Um, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's not. A, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lots of things that go in my mouth should not go in my mouth. And they. You know, the human body's adaptive too, you know, yeah. like a lot of, like the arguments is around a lot of intolerances are like, it's because you maybe missed out on some food groups when you were young. I'm not saying that there's not legitimate mm. ones and stuff like that. Totally. I'm not, but I, I think we can adapt and we can, you know, like if you eat shit food, your body becomes hungry for shit food apparently. And, yeah, um, definitely. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, maybe it's another one of these self-fulfilled prophecies too. Like if you think you're going to get blocked up when you drink milk, then you're going to get blocked up. I don't know. Could be. Could be. I don't know. I, I just think that life's a very short thing and you need to uh, do the things that make you happy um, and not mm -hmm. be too caught up in um, – you know, some people are, some people love the, re the, uh, the regime, don't they? Some people love the strict structure. I'm, I'm not a structured kind of person. Mm. Uh, and if I'm too strict with myself, I'll go nuts. I'll just blow out. If I, like, I'm super regimented with my diet, like, all of a sudden you'll, I'll wake up in the morning surrounded by, like, just packets of chips and lollies and I'll look like a person that wakes up in a crime scene, like, what have I done? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not very – I have become increasingly regimented as I've got older. And I've, I've, yeah. as I've got older, I've appreciated having a lot of discipline disciplines and areas of my life, particularly where I think I fall over because, you know, like I've been seriously overweight before, I'm still overweight. So like applying a level of discipline and, and strategy to the way I plan my food and eating is, I just kind of have to do it. Otherwise, sure. yeah, otherwise it gets out of control. So, but yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but you got to have fun, don't you? It's a good point. Nicholas Moore, I can't, I, I, Nicholas Morse Codes is his uh, name on Instagram. He says... <laughs> <laughs> he says, how many wetsuits does he own? Ten at least. Where does he keep yeah, them? Yeah, shit. Uh, all right, get ready. <laughs> oh, they're not going to see the video for this, are they? Nah. Anyway. But I'll describe it. I'll describe what I see. All right, so you're in my garage right now. Mm. Uh, I've probably got about between 20 and 30 wetsuits that have just accumulated over the years. Where else would you, would you do your Noob Spirit here. podcast? Oh, that's disgraceful. Here. Yeah, that, look, there's, there's a, that's a pile of monofins right here. We've got, we got one, two, three monofins there. Oh, there's a spear gun sitting underneath a bifin. There's another monofin. Your, is that a pile, is that a pile of carbon bifins over your there? Your garage looks like <laughs> a madwoman's shit. 
mate. I just... <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, that's where they all are. They sit on the floor of my garage. Some of them are hung up. Like my, my competition suits that I need to kind of keep nice, they're yeah. all hung up nicely and washed yeah. and like kind of jazz. Everything else is just in, in the heap. I was going to send you a Noob Spiro shirt, but I, I don't want it to end up as a rag on the floor of your oh, garage. Oh, mate, give me the shirt. You know I want the shirt. <laughs> oh, good. Um, I had some random questions here at the end um, as they've become increasingly random. Um, I'm titling this part of the show, When is Adam coming to my part of the world? <laughs> Scoo Scuba Steve says, Will he do a freediving course in Bates Bateman's Bay in the future? Bard Antonson yeah. says... First of all, thank you for the podcast. Uh, love it. Started freediving two years ago. He says, is there any chance I'll see him in the land of the big hal halibuts in Norway? Our coast oh, is amazing, yeah. I'm just saying. An event with Adam in Norway would be epic. And yeah. Mansour HSD says, when will he come to Lakshadweep, which is in India? All right, well, let's start from the top. Bateman's Bay. I'm going to be doing a course in Jervis Bay on uh, the 6th and 7th of February. I'll be there also for, in Jervis Bay for two weeks from the end of February to the start of March. Um, oh, there's a good hiccup. Um, as far as the other places, mate, get the world to open up again and I'll be there. <laughs> you know, okay, so in general, if you do ever want to do anything with me, just send me an email. And what we do is we have a, a like a little spreadsheet of like a, a location and people who were interested in learning how to freedive. And right. when we get enough people in that area to make the trip worthwhile, then we just run the trip. So if you're ever interested in, uh, in learning from me or learning with me or just bloody doing anything, flick me an email. An email. Um, I'm trying to think what's the best email to give you. We'll do the one that I don't answer that my beautiful office manager answers because she's a lot more organized than I am and actually gets shit done. What's the email? I tend it is deepweekfreediving at gmail.com. Deepweekfreediving at gmail.com. I'll link that up in today's show notes as yeah, well, so that'd be awesome. Um, cool. I'm coming to do my instructors with you at some stage in the very yeah, near future. Yeah, I know. I know. We're going to get it done. <laughs> Did you? I felt like some, some of the, the little depth things, I was sliding in there for you as well. You were. You were. They were aimed right at my heart, and I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking to myself, I've got to get past 20 before I can worry about 40. <laughs> no, it'll be good. Um, I was meant to do a course um, with Adam Stern and Eckhart Benkenstein in the Killsby Sinkhole mm. Retreat three days ago, but oh, due, to yeah. the, due to the Brisbane lockdown situation with yeah. coronavirus, it stopped me from going. But um, that's definitely on the cards this year. I want to, yeah, I want to get it done. Just um, get it, get it all sorted. So that place is out of this world. Yeah, it looks sick. Like you've got a, yeah. you've got a really good video there on your YouTube channel, eh? Yeah, oh, yeah, and we also, uh, when I was there last, uh, I did a lot of networking when I was down there because, you know, there are sinkholes all over the shop, right? Mm. Um, so I uh, basically found a farmer that has a 40-metre deep sinkhole and Ooh. he was willing to let us go and use it and train it. So now we've got access to more and more depth. So, oh, cool, because th that was the problem with the Killsby one. It's like 26 or 27 metres, so you can't yeah, really 20. do your instructors exactly. there, eh? Mate, yeah, but I spent I spent a few weeks to it down there when I was there last, just mm. for this purpose, just to hunt, basically go sinkhole hunting. Nice. Um, so yeah. Sick. Did, did you dive in there? Oh yeah, it's it's mate, it's unreal. Ah, sick. Right. <laughs> well, I'm in. I'm pencil man for whatever you got going. I'm I'm, I'm coming. Well, we might even run an instructor course in the sinkhole because it's just easy. You know what I mean? It's just easy access, easy conditions. Yeah. Why not? Do you? Um, uh, I know Eckhart and um, Adam Sellers were doing. Uh, they they 
use like um, accommodation in the old jail there in yep. Um, yep. Mount Yep, yep, same thing. Ah, cool, yep. cool. Yeah, it's cool. epic. Cool, cool. I'm really, um, yeah, I was really looking forward to this trip and um, oh, I've had no. one penciled in with you as well, so it'll have to, have to happen. Right now, though, I want to um, unmute all of the, the patron listeners who have joined us for this call and let them pepper you with questions as well. How, how do you, are you good with that? Yeah, I'm, I'm ready for the peppering. All right, okay, here we go. So I'm unmuting everyone, so jump in, guys, and ask your questions if you've got one. One, I got one for Adam. All right, here yep. we go, far away. That's great. Hey, um, hi, Adam, I, I am... I'm 62. I started diving probably about six years ago, so I'm cool. relatively new to it. But I'm just kind of wondering what your experience is with some of the older divers in terms of, mm. you know, um, you know their ability to gain depth, the quickness at which they do that, any more proneness to injury, um, any um, techniques or things that you see um, in terms mm -hmm. of uh, having older divers and and kind of when do they hit walls in terms of age and that all that kind of stuff. Yeah. All right, so, um, uh, okay, I'll tell you what, my, my primary training buddy, um, his name is Mike Board, he's the UK record holder, he dives to 113 metres, so he goes deeper than I do, he will be, I think he's going to be 58 this year. Oh. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously you, pro you probably know that the first man to dive to 100 metres was 65 years old when he did it. Uh, I, so I, th I think the, the constraints that apply to older divers are probably more, more constraints on your muscles and joints rather than anything specific to breath hold, if that makes sense. Uh -huh. um, now, the other thing you, you probably want to keep in mind is that like, like anything, uh, and this is probably more lifestyle factors, but like just like any, anything that places stress on the body, it places stress on the heart and things like that, right? So, like, you know, you go diving and, you know, you're placing stress a little bit on your cardiovascular system in the same way that you'd place stress on it if you went for a, a brisk walk or a little jog or something like that. So as long as you have, um, uh, like, a reasonable amount of fitness that you can handle that kind of stress being placed on, 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 on the body, like a brisk walk or a, or a little jog, you shouldn't have any issues um, with that party body and most of the issues you'll have will be like, you know, uh, am I, you know, am I going to get any, any kind of injuries like loading my gun? Am I going to put my shoulder out? I'm going to hurt my, you know what I'm trying to say, right? Oh. Like where it's, that, those are the, probably the biggest, the biggest considerations to take on board, uh, I suppose as an older diver, it's more like just, just general health rather than diving specific because, uh, as far as things go diving specific, there should be no real impediment. Cool. Thank you. Mm. Cool. Easy. Where, whereabouts are you? Uh, again, Greg, you do a lot of your diving in Baja, I do. but you're living up in Lake Tahoe. Yeah. Is that Back. right? Yeah, I do. I get so, pretty much 90% of my diving um, and spearfishing is in Baja, but I do some line diving and stuff in Hawaii. I'm actually going to, which is one of the cool. question. I'm going to Dahab, Egypt. In, um, oh, yeah. And I'll be there for all of March on a mentorship program with uh, Harry Chamas. I, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yeah, yeah, Harry's a legend. Yeah, and so um, I don't want to bogart all the questions, but since this is the second one that I had, in terms of how do you recommend making the most out of a month like that? Uh, I, I tell you what, knowing Harry... Have you been, he, have you been to Dahab and what, what do you... Can you oh, tell yeah. me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I lived in Dahab for two years. Um, oh, okay. Dahab's amazing. Uh, what I can tell you about it is that when you're not freediving, there is nothing to do. 
<laughs> All right. Um, you you go to Dahab and you run the risk of getting uh, sick, like um, like you know just bacteria stuff in your food. So speak to Harry and don't be conservative with the restaurants you go to. There'll be about I haven't been there for a few years, but there'll be about three, four, or five restaurants that you know are clean. Only eat there or okay. prepare your own food. If you're preparing your own food, make sure you wash everything. Um, it's very classic that someone goes to Dahab and spends half of their time dealing with diarrhea. Uh, like I, I had, I had uh, amoebic dysentery when I was there at one stage. Um, so just really be pedantic with your food because that will be the thing that, that can wipe you out and can waste your time there. But otherwise, knowing Harry, your time there is going to be shock-a-block. Like you're going to be full and it's going to be like – like really structured and, and broken up really nicely. I don't imagine Harry's going to have you just sitting around twiddling your thumbs going, oh, what am I going to do today? Um, he's going to have everything structured so you get the most out of your time there and the most out of, out of your training. So I would just trust Harry on that and then make sure you don't get sick. Amoebic <laughs> um, dysenteries, when when the poo stops coming out of your bum and it actually starts coming out of your ears your and mouth. your eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, oh, the other thing is, is... Make sure you check out the Ras Muhammad Marine Park if you're there. Um, and I think Mount Sinai is also really cool. Uh, it's a bit of a hike up there, and if you have time for that, go check out Mount Sinai. I don't know if you've ever spent much time in the desert. I'd, I'd never spent any time in the desert before I went to Dahab. And uh, we did a few, like a, quite a few nights. We'd just go out there and go camping in the desert, and it was quite an experience. Like, it's beautiful. Uh, I never quite experienced anything quite like being out in this, like, just middle of the bloody desert and the stars are all out. Like it's, it's a really yeah. cool place. I bet. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Hey, oh, you're going to love it. Hey Adam, yeah. when, when people do these like extended courses and stuff, yeah. do, do you like it if they pair it with like another um, physical discipline or like another activity that's kind of meaningful or should it stay fairly free dive centric to get the most out of it? You should probably stay fairly freediving centric. I mean, the more the more energy you put into something else, the more you'll be taking away from your freediving. Because the freediving, uh, especially for like these longer periods of time, mm. he's going to be going to some pretty. I imagine a month's training. He's going to be going to some pretty reasonable depths. Um, if he's not training, he'll need to be recovering from his training. <laughs> but it's up to you. It's all about what you know. You get out what you put in, right? So yeah. totally up to them. Um, I've got Captain Dan Walsh up there too. Welcome, Dan. Hey. I didn't even see you there before, mate. Did you have any questions for Adam? Actually, I have a couple things. Uh, first, uh, some comments from listening. Mm -hmm. the, you're absolutely right. By, I'll be, first, I'm a big fan. I love all your videos. Your, uh, thank your, you. Your camping trips and all that. Um, the, uh, you're absolutely right about teaching. I've been a scuba instructor since 1972. And mm -hmm. you pretty much can write off diving at that point because you're teaching all the time. Uh, but I wanted to comment, and hopefully uh, Isaac can hear this. I, I think it was that it was his buddy that was having problems with his eustachian tubes or something like that. I had, uh, after all the years of diving and running dive boats and all that, I've had a problem with my left eustachian tube. And I researched, uh, I was almost ready to go to Germany to have a, a procedure done where they put a catheter in and they expand down here in the cartilage area. Well, they do it in Los Angeles. And so that's what I did. And it has helped tremendously. And so it, it was not that expensive. It didn't hurt. But uh, I, I really enjoyed getting that done. And, it's, and for the gentleman that says he's old and all that stuff and down there, uh, I'm going to be 70 in May. Okay. So, so here's what I've discovered. Okay. So 
uh, you just buy better equipment. Like I've got, I went and bought some big ass carbon fiber fins. I, Cause I just had, <laughs> yeah. I've had two new, two knee replacement surgeries over the past two years. And then for, for my spear gun, I bought one of those little assist things, you know, a little hook and a little rubber bits. So you just, you just get, you know, you, you don't, you don't, what's it, you work harder, not smarter, or dive <laughs> smarter, not harder. That's, that's yeah. what I do. So that, that's what I have to say, but I'm enjoying it. And, and Isaac, thanks. I, I really enjoy this cool. stuff. Cool, cool. Um, Brian, Duncan, Nick, Stu, did you guys have any questions for um, Adam? Otherwise, I'm going to pepper him with a couple more requests and then uh, we'll head on out. But um, Yeah, sure, I've got a question. Over, I got. All right, hey, it's uh, Stu, Stu Howard here. How are you going? G'day, Stu. Good, mate. Hey, um, I, I guess just one question I have is... Um, uh, I find after a day sparing or even half a day sparing... I am just absolutely rooted. Yeah. You know, like super tired um, and uh, just absolutely hopeless for the rest of the day. Um, do you have any any tips for like, I don't know, is it for, for, for mitigating that somehow? Mm -hmm. For becoming so, un unrooted, I think. Unrooted. Is yeah, unrooted. Let, let's, let's do our best to unroot Stu. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, Stu, uh, the, you're, you're experiencing two different types of fatigue here, or there's two different things that are really causing the fatigue. So can I just ask, um, do, you, do, you, uh, do you eat anything before you go diving and do you make sure you stay hydrated throughout the day? Yeah, I do my best. I, like, yep. um, I try to have a good feed of porridge in the morning. Yep. Um, before I go out and I just try and smash as much water as I can yeah. during the dive. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, you, so you're doing you're doing everything you can do there, which is totally which is which is great. I would I would go as far as putting uh, some electrolytes in your water if you can as well. That that's always helpful. But um, fatigue from diving is is just it's just a factor. Like it's just a thing that's going to happen. So a um, uh, one thing that we have to I suppose like think about is. Let's say you go you go spearing for like what's what? How long do you, we all go spearing for? We get in the water. You're in the water for like anything from two to four hours on average, right? Like eight, it's a good eight hours. Eight hours. Can't get enough. And don't forget, there's the drive there and the drive. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, it's know, so. Permission. Yeah. So listening when, to the Noob Spear podcast, though, so that gives you energy. Let's, that's yeah. true. Fires you up. <laughs> um, when when else in your life do you go and do four to eight hours of exercise? Just right? in the bedroom. So, <laughs> are you sure? Are you sure uh, it's not four to eight minutes? Because oh, was... I got it wrong again. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh right. My my uh, my wife's pregnant right now, and uh, I, I swear this this child was conceived in fifteen seconds. You know that's what it's like after <laughs> one baby. Like, that's all it takes. Way you to get go, the again. job done, and you get out of there. Mm. <laughs> so. So you've got general fatigue from like, you know, being being in the water for a long period of time, exercising for a long period of time. And then you're also going to have nitrogen loading. And maybe the captain can actually give us a bit more, um, you know, some more pointed info on this as well. But but uh, when we're freediving, you know, all that time spent underwater, we're building up nitrogen in our system. And, and that's, that's a lot of work for the body to get rid of that nitrogen. Uh, having excess nitrogen in your body is extremely fatiguing. Um, so it happens with scuba diving, it happens with free diving, it happens with spearing. The second you immerse yourself under that water, you're going to build up some nitrogen and then that's going to be work for the body to get the nitrogen out of the body. So there's going to be like an extra element of fatigue that's, that's being placed upon you. That's great. Awesome. Um, do, do you use the Aqualite? Um, I got sent another bunch of stuff the other day um, from some guys in WA actually. It's bloody good. Like um, it's oh, got the magnesium stuff, yeah. and the electro electrolytes in it. Yep. 
cool, cool. Um, have you got a go-to for when you do your, like, a full-day teaching? Oh, mate, whatever's in Woolies, you know what I mean? Whatever's oh, on the okay. shelf. Nice. Yeah. Um, Duncan, a.k.a. Dunky Poo, the spear gun gig, <laughs> he, uh, he had a question for you as well, I believe. Yeah, thanks for that, Rick. Um, <laughs> so I've, it's kind of two questions, but they're kind of combined. Um, so do you do, do you do one grouper call or do you do multiple ones all the way down? I've, I haven't heard of anybody doing them multiple times, just... Um, okay. Yeah, the, I've always thought and gone on the basis that you do one big one um, kind of relatively early on to kind mm -hmm. of prep you up um, for when you start getting much deeper. But that's kind of much more on the, the really deep stuff going down towards um, 80, 100 metres. Okay, so what you're describing, the one big groper call, uh, that's not that's not a groper call. So that's a mouthfill, and that's a totally different style of equalization. And we move air from the lungs into the mouth by pushing with with the respiratory muscles to fill up the mouth. We don't create suction to do that. Right. Um, so what you're just, so that's that's mouthfill equalization, which just put that in a totally separate category of equalization than anything else. For frenzel equalization. Uh, we're doing constant groper calling, so constant reverse packs. So basically what I say is after after 20 metres, before every single equalisation you do, do a reverse pack. So you reverse pack, equalise, reverse pack, equalise, reverse pack, equalise after after 20 metres. Cool. That makes more sense. Yeah, easy. Yeah, yeah that, um, that came from Dave Mullins. So he was talking about when he does it at like yeah. 35 before he goes to 100. Oh, look, Dave Mullins has 125 bloody-odd metres. Um, that man is not human. And, uh, and yeah, but he's talking about doing mouthful equalisation. Yeah, yeah. No, I've, yeah, I've, been, I've been spearfishing him with him when he's like, oh, I'll just pop over to this rock and try and find some crayfish at 55 metres. Right? And you're like, what is wrong with him? <laughs> Apparently, you so know. So much is wrong he, with him. <laughs> you got to remember, though, Adam, he's he's a Kiwi, so superior genetics come into it as well. It's a big part of it, yeah. Very true. I'm just going to hold my tongue. <laughs> yeah, well, there's, I think there's three Kiwis on the call, so it's not. It's, I can't normally do this. I think we might have three. We've got three, three Yanks, three Aussies, maybe, and three, and three Kiwis. Well, no, yeah, you, you're usually outnumbered. Mm, I am. Uh, so I'm just a, I'm, the, the last second part of my question yeah. is: um, so, what's the deepest that you can do on a residual dive? What, what, what do you mean by a residual dive? So um, based on residual volume without having to do your groper calls or a mouthful. Um, so do you have you a mean particular point that you... Breathing so, all the way out and then diving, is that the question? No, 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 not not exhale diving. But um, so without... If you didn't do the, the groper calling or the... Um, or even just minor groper calling but not the, mm, the mouthful, mm. what's your kind of maximum depth that you can go to? So... Out of curiosity. Uh, okay. Yeah, for sure. So the maximum depth that any human will be able to go to without doing some form of a groper call will be the depth of a Valsalva equalization. So you're looking at about 20 to 25 meters. Um, okay. That's. Uh, but uh, but so just so you know, like like doing a groper call is a, it's it's a it's an essential and standard part of frenzel equalization. Does that make sense? So it's not like a, a new different thing. It's the it's the it's the, the part of the technique. Right. Um, yep. So every time we go down to 30, 40, 50, 60, whatever meters, if we're not using a mouthfill and we're using frenzel, it's just reverse pack, equalize, reverse pack, equalize, reverse pack, equalize. Yep. Cool. Mm. Awesome. Um, while we round out, there might be a, a one or two more questions left from the patrons, but we mentioned some courses today. Where can guys find that, Adam? And obviously you're going to put together this Noob Spiro code. Yeah. 
Yeah, new, Noob Spiro code. Yeah. Uh, oh, so the website is, is freedivingfamily.com. www.freedivingfamily.com. That's like where I have my courses. It's, it's a digital freediving manual with like a video manual. Cool. So and you're going to give Noob Spiro listeners, I think you said like 90% off or something crazy? Oh, I'm fairly certain it was it was 40% off or something like that. Really? Oh, that's, yeah, why, why that's not? hectic. Why not? Why not? Do, nah, well, I'm, just whatever you can do for the listeners would be fantastic. Oh, um, bro, you, you know, you know that like my my mo since being in the freediving industry has always been about how to get as much information to as many people as possible, right? Like, mm. like you know, we were talking earlier about um, uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll, everything we we're talking earlier about in terms of like uh, putting we'll talk about putting together a package, like how people. Like, how do we know how to go to the pool and train and things like that? Like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I, just, I just feel like like the, the more knowledge that people have, the safer the community is and the better the community is. So, like, yeah. you know. Just 100% on there. the same page as you. I yeah. think one thing, like, I think from you too is because you've got, a you know, a purpose to what you're doing, like your mission sort of guided, I think that's yeah. that, that seems to be why you're so energetic all the time as well because it's all yeah. in line with what you're trying to achieve. So, um, I suppose, yeah, you wake up in the morning and you think, hey, I really like this thing that I'm doing and I really believe in it. I suppose that mm. gives you a bit of oomph. Yeah, 100%, <laughs> man. No, I love it. And it's always good talking with you, Adam. So anytime you want to come back on the New Spirit podcast, you're always welcome, man. Oh, good. Well, thanks for all the New Spirit community, Adam. Awesome to connect with you. People can come and find you. Adam Freediver everywhere. Adam Stern, <laughs> however they search for you. Today's show notes will... Work. Yeah. <laughs> Today's show notes, I think I'm going to make them noobspirit.com. There'll be a few there. I think, what do we agree on? Scorched. Uh, scalded ball sack. Scalded ball sack. Uh, yeah, but there'll be maybe, a few things. Maybe just Adam Freediver as well would be good <laughs> just for a simple one. But uh, scalded ball sack's quite a long URL to type out. But, um, <laughs> come to noobspirit.com. Anyway, in the show notes, I'll have videos, links, the courses that Adam's mentioned, and along with the discount code, and all the other sponsors of the Noobspirit podcast as well. So cheers, Adam. Pleasure, mate. Thank you so much for having me. Adam Stern, as usual, an absolute barrel of laughs. Uh, he is one sure hell of a character and just a great guy. Really looking forward to, as I mentioned, getting in and doing an instructor's course with him at some stage in 2021. If we can get rid of this blasted COVID BS. Uh, I'm not saying it is BS. And anyway, I made some, as usual, verbal faux pas in this interview. Please excuse any if, and all offence as usual, because I am an offensive guy. Um, next, In the next interview, we're off to chat with Eric Anderson from California. Um, Eric's been a long-time listener, and I've listened to him on multiple other podcasts. He's a really cool uh, guy. Really looking forward to um, digging in and hearing about some great white stories and you know, California kelp forest diving and all sorts of fun stuff with Eric. And we're going to talk about urchin barons and a whole bunch of other cool stuff as well. So come back in two weeks. If you love the show, I'd love it if you become a patron patron listener. Go to patreon.com forward slash noobspero and support on an episode by episode basis. All good, I'm out. Thanks for listening. Have you ever wanted to slay fish with a weapon of your own creation? Good news for you. Episode 123 of the Noob Spiro podcast with Ed Martin from Killshot Spear Guns lays out the pattern and the plan to help you build your own weapon of death uh, and lay waste to fish with something with your own maker's stamp on it. And along with that, go to today's major sponsor website, neptonics.com. 
go to the Spear Gun Builder page and select your components to build that magical weapon and use the code NOOB10 to save a further 10% off on anything in your shopping basket. So visit neptonics.com. Use the code NOOB10 to save 10% off store-wide. Interesting message today if you are a budget-conscious Spiro. Head to spearfishing.com.au, go to the clearance tab. There's a whole bunch of magic deals and bargains in there. Use the code NOOB Spiro to save a further $20 on every purchase over $200. That's right, spearfishing.com.au, clearance tab, you'll thank me later.